Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello, hello. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, we're, we're rolling along here in this summer uh, of 2020, the, the summer that we'll look back on, I imagine. But uh, yeah, we're trying to enjoy that, some summer weather, and uh, we've been swimming in the bay a little bit. Uh, DW is continuing to swim fairly well and, and be a water dachshund as well as a mountain dachshund. Yeah, he's he's doing surprisingly well for a very tiny-legged creature. He's, yeah. Kind of blowing and, me out. He's better than me at swimming at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's trying to follow you everywhere, I guess. So yeah. I guess he's he's learning to draft and, and mimic, <laughs> I guess. But uh, the other way people are getting through this this summer of COVID, summer of 2020, is there's a lot of bike packing going on, which, uh, you know, we've talked about some backpacking. So the traditional sort of walking with your backpack. Uh, but the variation, I think, is here in Ontario, but everywhere. You know, I have clients in Michigan and uh, out in California, and, you know, they're really getting into this idea of bike packing and, and different varieties of touring on our bicycles, right? Um, you know, taking a small backpack and, and going right into a friend or, or some of these loops. We've had Matthew Cady, uh, nutritionist and bikepacking extraordinaire, on the show, and he's the creator of the BT700, which is a 700-kilometer um, I don't know what that is for miles. What are we, four or something? Yeah, right around uh, 400. So it's a big, big loop. And so he's been on talking about bikepacking and feeding ourselves on that. Um, but today we have another episode on this topic of bikepacking or, or the new touring, as I like to call it. Yeah, we have Joe Cruz, who is a philosophy professor, in addition to being a bikepacking extraordinaire, uh, which, of course, made for some really fun talking. I think, you know, it's it's cool when you can get someone who's uh, not just a consummate athlete, but more of a, I'm going to call it a consummate gentleman, um, so we can it, kind of get more into, like, the why of bikepacking, not just the, the nitty-gritty of how, although we talk tons about that as well. Uh, Peter, I think he's he's sort of just like you in that we talked about how he will spend hours and hours and be up to like three in the morning trying to create the perfect route and like pouring over maps. We talk about, you know, how he approaches it where it's like, you know, a paper map, but then he's got like Google Street View going and he's got like all of these other things that he's using to really kind of perfect exactly what kind of route he wants to make. Um, so for, from that standpoint, he's he's very similar to you. Um, but we yeah yeah and I think that's you've touched on a couple elements I think the this bike packing this going out and sort of adventuring right in this I, I include just a long day of riding whatever long means for you you know again point to point and I think you, you hit on the navigation portion I think for a lot of people that's a weakness right if you get lost in races especially some of these endurance races these marathon races you know the ultra run races that that Molly's doing and I know a lot of li our listeners are into these hiking and you know running type races there's a navigation element there you know of some type right like having a knowledge of the course remembering even a short cross country or cyclocross course right there's an element of navigation and course memory there that i think in this summer we can certainly be honing by getting a little out there right and adventuring a little bit 
Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited. Um, I have a friend, my, my good friend Karen, who convinces me to do all all manner of crazy trips. Uh, and she and I are going to do a like mini bikepacking with some hiking thrown in trip uh, sometime in the next month or two. And I'm pretty excited about it because I've never really been super into the idea of bikepacking because, I mean, anyone who knows me knows the... Uh, the chamois situation is one of those things I'm like evangelical about as far as like washing your chamois and all of that. And Joe and I talk about, you know, bikepacking doesn't have to mean being, you know, crusty and gross and kind of putting up with that. There are ways to make sure that your shorts stay clean for your whole trip. Um, and yeah, I will be putting some of this stuff into practice in the next couple months. More on the, we'll call it credit card bikepacking side of things where we're not going to be carrying like tents or anything like that. But still going for a couple days so yeah i'm i'm excited to put some of joe's tips to use yes i i think so and i think there's one other element then so there's i really like this idea of bikepacking you know there's there's a fitness element there like we talked about the navigation you talked about i, I guess even the, the multi days of riding you're touching on with this like keeping yourself clean and hygiene this is common elements for stage races too right so i think there's a lot of really good reasons that even just learning about bikepacking uh can benefit us you know in whatever sport we're doing mm-hmm. um i'm curious though is there there must was there a lot of philosophical things not like not a i'll you say this if you're like stressed about it and you're like about to turn this off because you're like oh good it's gonna be all philo- all philosophy it is it is not completely esoteric. We just get into right. a little bit of the why and like what one thinks about when one is on the road. Is it like and... going into the woods to find yourself. Yeah. Or, or... Do you go solo? Do you bring friends? Kind of all of these different elements. So it's it's just mm. kind of a really fun, different take on bikepacking that we, we haven't had on here before. So I think everyone is going to enjoy this episode. And uh, yeah, we should we should get into it. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Joe Cruz and head over to consummateathlete.com for the show notes because we're going to have some links including to an article I wrote sort of based around some of this, uh, but also with Corinne Rivera and Katie Keogh over on bicycling.com. So make sure that you check that out. All right, enjoy the episode. So how does uh, how does a philosopher end up in in bike packing and making these routes and sort of li- living this lifestyle yeah it's funny it, it all happened around the same time so i i took my first bike packing trip when when i was an undergraduate uh so i was 19 and that would have been in uh, 1989 and uh, i was at the same time you know reading these these great works of of literature and reflection and and inquiry and i won't say that that there was much of an intersection between the bike riding and the and the philosophy at that point you know bike riding because uh i got to college and and people had mountain bikes uh and had had mountain bikes for a few years they were getting super popular and so i was riding in the woods mostly to get away from from studies and ideas and it was only later maybe even 20 years later that I started to think about philosophical topics and bikepacking topics at the same time. But yeah, they, they originated in the same, in the same person that I was, the, the mm-hmm. hopefully curious, you know, the curious and, and uh, wanting to see the world person that I was back then. Oh, I love it. Uh, so this, I am going to have to send you a 
copy of this book after um, after we talk. I mentioned uh, in our email that uh, my like great 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 uncle has a, a fantastic bike packing story, and so he actually when he in like 1924 did uh, Jersey to San Francisco uh, bike packing. I know, right? Like no, you know, so roads, cool. roads like didn't exist. He's like sending stuff ahead to like mailboxes. At one point he had to pawn his bike to like get money to eat <laughs> and like, whole thing. Um, but he wow, wrote, that, uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. That's I, yeah. So he wrote a little, he ended up, um, in like the eighties, his son helped him put together uh, a little like novella about it basically, or like a little memoir about it called Frisco or bus. Yep. And it's impossible to find, but I have like 10 copies cause I, I like scroll them away whenever I can find one. Um, and I'll have to send it to you because I feel like he taught, you know, he, he gets very full philosophical about about things and i'd be very interested to get your your read on it uh sort of seeing what his bike packing adventures looked like um i can't i can't wait i seriously can't wait because you know bike packing back in the 20s i mean maybe he was on a balloon tire bike with a with a basket or maybe he was on a kind of earlier uh safety bike kind of thing with um bike packing bags do you know single single speed with full rubber tires and he actually burned through a couple of them he realized he, it was a fixed gear and he had to start walking down hills um yep. because he was he couldn't hit like the weight of the uh the packs on it and stuff he was either falling over or burning through the tires um so he had to <laughs> so both funny. walk up the rockies and down them <laughs> with the as it goes he probably would be better it. to run across america at that point but yeah just the the coolest story and you know that's that's part of what got it's funny i read i read that book that he wrote when i was like eight years old and i was like didn't care about bikes. I was just like, I want to write books too. And now I write books about bikes. So we've kind of come full, full circle life-wise. Um. Absolutely. It's perfect. <laughs> and and I, feel, I feel like, you know, that point, writing, writing books and riding bikes, um, you know, bike touring has al- always produced its own literature and, and some of it gets, gets cliche and formulaic. Beyond cliches of bike touring, the, just the, the movement through space and geography and meeting people and sort of the cyclic motion of kind of this meditation in space, it's totally, it, it's ready for the kind of reflection that, that shows up in the, in the best of the bike train literature. And so I can't wait to, I can't wait to see um, yes. what you're sending. Send yeah, me. I will, I will definitely get that in the mail for you. Um, but let's get back to your bike packing. Do you remember what your first trip would have looked like? I do. I, I, you know, I have some some photographs from that era to to remind me of of the the giddy foolishness that it was. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had uh, so my my then girlfriend and I we had mountain bikes and and we rode around the hills of of Western Massachusetts and Southern Vermont. You know, the same, basically the same landscape that I that I live in for part of the time these days. And uh, we we'd heard from the local bike shop folks that that people were doing bike tours on their mountain bikes and they were doing bike tours on on dirt roads and single track and that that sounded super cool to us so we we borrowed all this equipment from the the college outing club you know two two panniers and the rack and uh, a coleman you know a coleman stove and and we packed it with jars of peanut butter and flannel shirts and <laughs> i think i had a cop you know i had a i had a copy of of edward abbey's desert solitaire in there and so we, we actually got on a train 
back in those days in the late eighties, Amtrak would it, their 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 Western U.S. line would stop in Thompson, Utah. So we got on the train in Albany, New York, rode to rode the train to Chicago, did a transfer, and then rode out to Utah, and and got dropped off on this concrete platform. Uh, you know, with one naked buzzing light bulb above the platform in the middle of the night, we got dropped off on this platform in Utah. Uh, <laughs> set up, you know, it was it was incredible. You know, it was my first trip out west. It was my first bike packing trip. It was my first bike ride with with luggage, and and I'd done some backpacking and camping, so I, I had a little bit of outdoor crack, but not much at that point. And so we were dropped off. In, in Utah, and we rode our bikes. You know, that first night we camped right near the platform, and then and then the next morning we rode down to Canyonlands and rode the White Rim Trail, which of course is is legendary and super popular now, but back then was more of a, a jeep excursion or a or a motorbike excursion. And so mm-hmm. we, you know, we did this three day circuit, and then we hung out in Moab for a week. This is our spring break, and we hung out from in Moab, like riding those legendary trails and and glowing in the in the triumph of our first bikepacking trip. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. So did you have any like misadventures on that trip or was it just kind of perfect? You know, you remember stuff as in, in terms of its, its highlights and the, the high emotions and the positive emotions. I, I'm sure I thought it super hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people, you know, people who know, you know, not, not least of all because my, my partner at the time was she was on a cross country ski team and so she was super fit and i was just like this schmucky philosophy student who was like learning the outdoors for the first time and so people who know the white rim trail know that there's a big climb on the second or third day um murphy's hogback and you know i like chris chris kristen um rode right up it and then at the top she like ran back to the bottom to like grab my panniers and I was pushing the bike up and thinking, you know, why am I here? Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that, but that stuff all fades, you know, into, into the positivity of the, of the emotions and the, you know, the big landscape that again, I'd never seen having grown up in New York city and mm-hmm. having, you know, hadn't even really imagined that you could, you could feel this sense of ex- expansiveness and sort of, smearing yourself into the environment, um, which I felt then and still feel on trips now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, and so speaking of trips now, you just did a big trip in Vermont. So what was, what was that one like? Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for asking about that. That, that was super fun. So a couple things, um, of course it, in, in the USA, many of us are sticking very close to home and doing rides that we can start from our doorstep. Uh, out of out of respect for not putting a big load on communities that we visit as tourists, and so I wanted to do a trip here in Vermont. Um, I, I wouldn't call myself a Vermonter, though I've lived in Vermont for some span of time. Culturally, I, I still think of myself as a New Yorker, but <laughs> but you know I've lived you know I I've lived in Vermont a long time, and I've come to admire its politics and its people and its history and its it's bucolic pastoral landscape. And so the, the trip you're talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago now is one that goes from the southern border of Vermont, that's the border with Massachusetts, to the northern border, which is the border of Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, it's a 300, uh, 302-mile route 
and it's 90% on dirt. I, I, I created it, right? So this took months to put together using satellite imagery and, and town maps and, and different mapping layers. Um, that's a joy in itself, creating a route. And so this one is 90% dirt, and it just visits in this you know, kind of comprehensive way, the, the landscapes of Vermont, the hilly, farm, wooded, gorgeous place that Vermont is. And I rode the, the route in, in four days with a, a few friends, uh, friends who were visiting and, and they'd quarantined themselves for two weeks and we all had negative COVID tests. And so, um, you know, we were ready to do it. And we had a blast. We had the most beautiful time riding you know, basically 75 miles a day uh, and camping along the way, um, ducking into into general stores when we needed to, um, you know, wearing our masks and, and being respectful of social distancing. Mm-hmm. So it was it was really positive because it felt like a home experience for me. And and I won't lie, the the route begins or ends, depending which you ride it, and it, it begins or ends 10K from my house. So in, here in right. Vermont, so it really felt, you know, it really felt like it was, it was, in this case, departing from my doorstep. We rode it south to north. Oh, um, that's and awesome. I guess it, it, one last thing I'll say about it is, is um, I created the route as a as a kind of gift to to my friend Ted King, who is a retired uh, USA pro cyclist. Um, he rode in, in Europe for many years and did the Tour de France and Paris-Roubaix and all the, all the races that people have heard about. And so Ted lives in Vermont and he asked me if, if I knew of a, an all dirt route that, that covered the length of Vermont. And since I didn't know of such a thing, I just went ahead and, and, and created it. And so then <laughs> Ted wrote it in a day, you know, Ted wrote of it course, in one day yeah. in 22 hours, of course. Um, and, and there's a neat little movie about it. If people poke around YouTube and, and find Ted's YouTube, they'll find a, a, 12 minute video about Ted's ride. Super fun. Oh, that's neat. We'll, have to, we'll link to that in the, the show notes. And uh, before I ask about how exactly you go about making a route, because I know a lot of people want to know about that. I love that you're, you know, it's a weird time we're in right now where every time you mention like doing a thing with friends or like seeing other people or going to a place, like you have to kind of almost caveat it with and we quarantine and we, you know, got the test and we yeah. wore masks. Um, but I'm really glad yeah. that you mentioned those things because I think, you know, you're kind of looking at like, okay, here's how to actually do these adventures that are, you know, that are still available to us, but here's how to be responsible and think responsibly about them. Um, so I'm really glad you, you kind of phrased it like that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's a tough thing, uh, too, in that a, a lot of the roots that I've created, um, and, and that show up on, on bikepacking.com. I'm, I'm on the editorial team at bikepacking.com. And, and one of the things we do on that site is to, is to try to create community by, by making available resources for bike riding that if people don't have time to create themselves or, or they're not inclined to, to create, or they just want, they want to be sure that they're going to have a good experience. And so we share a lot of, a lot of root resources on the site, but now isn't, is a tricky time to share stuff. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, I like I, I, I honestly would feel some misgiving if somebody downloaded my Strava from, you know, from Colorado or from or from California or, you know, not nothing wrong with those places. But but I would feel some misgivings if somebody just flew 
you know, flew into Albany and then just did this route. Yeah. You know, I, I would hope they wouldn't actually, you know, I I don't want people to do that. Um, but on the other hand, it does seem to me an important instrument of community to have these resources out there. So it takes some thinking and, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for, um, pointing that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and on the, so on the topic of route planning, it sort of sounds like the the best way that people can kind of you know be responsible right now. And I've seen this a lot in our area too. Is you know finding sort of their local adventures. Um, I actually had pitched an article. Um, uh, Running magazine had asked me if I had like any like international destinations that I wanted to write about, like for their exotic locale like section of the magazine. And I was like, mm. I mean right now, not really. And like, I would actually argue what I've kind of come to realize in the past three months is that like, honestly, my, my own backyard and like actually figuring out what's in my area that I didn't know about, like that's been the most exotic thing ever because there's so much stuff that I had no idea about. And it's been super cool discovering that. So yeah. Any, any advice for someone who's like, okay, I'm going to sit down at the computer. I'm going to make a route. I don't know how to make a route. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do. I guess I do have some stuff to say about that. Um, and, and yeah, locally is, you know, a different sense and equally important community. And so, so I think it's all it's all really positive for people to be thinking in terms of of what they can do from their front door. Uh, but figuring out what to do. Yeah, that that may not always be obvious. So, where to start? Uh, let me let me maybe begin by saying that the process on my process has led to popular routes like the the Vermont Green Mountain Gravel Growler, which links together yep. craft breweries in Vermont, and you know lots of people that ride. And and I created the the course in Kyrgyzstan that was then used for the, the Silk Road mountain race. Um, that's a, that's a ride that I created in 2016 to ride with, um, some close friends expedition style in the incredible country of Kyrgyzstan, um, routes in Slovenia and ones in Croatia, you know, places that, that I've had the privilege to, to visit and, and try to learn something from. Um, but the procedure, you know, so the procedure could be, can be, ambitious like that or it can be aimed at something a lot like going on overnight from from your own street and the way i like to do it is i sit down first with a paper map uh, sort of like the tactile tactile experience of of sort of putting my hand along a paper map to see based on its scale what distance i think i can cover in a day and you know even if even if the hotshot bikers who listen to your podcast know that they can ride a hundred miles in a day, I think it's probably better on a bike packing trip to go 50 or 60% of what you know you can do because yes. you just have more fun. You're just, you know, just having a better time. Um, not trying to, not trying to fill every set, you know, waking hour with your, with your ride and well, instead be in a place. Yeah, and I mean, I'll say any any hotshot biker listening to this is probably very, very good at riding their bike, but probably not so good at like starting a campfire or using a camp stove <laughs> or setting up a tent, at least not the ones that I know. 
Like they're they're <laughs> right. It's it's becoming more popular to be good at both of those things, but most of the cyclists I know need to you know budget a little extra time for uh, survival stuff. So. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and and uh, and it, as long as you're talking about the psychology of hotshot athletes, I, in my experience, maybe some of them also don't have much familiarity with flow and and sort of thinking of bike riding or running as a way to be in a place rather than rather than something that's more competition or contest oriented um yeah you know I, yeah. I'm at, you know I, I'm at an age now where where I don't really ride bikes fast anymore I tried to do that when I was younger but now I just think of it as a way you know like like the like bikepacking in the 1920s a way to to learn something about a landscape and people and, and be with people in a positive way. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe we need practice with that too sometimes, but uh, right. So budget say, uh, 60% of what you'd normally ride for, for each day. And from that paper map, then move to a program like ride with GPS. That's my, that's, that's my favorite, but, you can plan on Strava or you can plan on Kamut or any number of mapping programs, but then I'll, I'll, so I'll go to ride with GPS and, and just make a really kind of quick and dirty, almost let the program take over to, to route me to a couple of destinations that I've identified on my paper map, uh, ending in a, in a park, uh, a state park or ending in a place where I know I can camp, um, in, in different times that might even be at a, at an Airbnb or at a, at a bed and breakfast where, you know, there are no rules here. There's no judgment. If, if your bikepacking trip uh, involves a credit card and, and having a nice glass of wine at the end of the day, that's still bikepacking. That's great. I'm so uh, glad you said so, that because I was going to ask you that. And I was like kind of nervous about what your answer is going to be. So I'm really psyched <laughs> on that. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, I, like, I don't know. I, my, my, my big hope for bikepacking as it gets more popular is that it gets a little bit taken away from like mountain town bros who (laughs) want it to be, you know, want it to be full suspension bikes and like always in the most rad trails and the deepest back country. Like that's awesome. And, And I've done that, but that's not, that's not the thing that's going to make people love bicycles and be outside and love their community and, understand the people that you know make the culture that they're visiting right mm-hmm. fine full suspension bikes in 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 utah or, or colorado awesome so much fun but bikepacking should be wider and better than that it seems to me mm-hmm. yeah yeah i love that and it's yeah i was just chatting with uh with two women who just did a california bikepacking trip and you know they did they did it very much like airbnb and you know staying with friends and you know eating at restaurants and they had a great time and i was like that sounds awesome too like but i've also done like the tent camping and you know in the desert and that's amazing like yep so many good ways to do it Um, yeah absolutely so many good ways yeah and so when you're looking for for places to camp are there any good resources you found for like figuring out where good campsites are or kind of like figuring out even where to start looking for that yeah so it super depends so 
in in a state like Vermont or in New England in general, first I'll look to state parks and to public land like the Green Mountain National Forest, where it's legal to disperse camp as long as you're 200 feet away from roads and water. Um, and so, so I'll literally just pull up the 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 Vermont State Park map from the resources that Vermont puts online and I'll see how close they are to the, the kind of ride that I want to do. And, and that's, it, that's because even in a very rural state like Vermont, you're still faced with lots of no trespass signs and private property. And basically you don't want to bum out the neighbors yeah. um, when you're on a bike ride. Right. But, but in a, in a different kind of ride, uh, a ride maybe it, in a place where, while is allowed or, or looked upon favorably, like a, like a ride we did a few years ago in Norway, um, took us on, on a three-week backcountry trip in pretty sparse landscapes. And if, if I know I'm going to be in that kind of situation where I might wild camp or, or where I might be putting up the tent in places where I'm going to be respectful of the landscape and I'm going to leave no trace, but where it's not an official campground, then satellite imagery might tell me something about, about what the possibilities are. Um, writing to locals might tell me something about what the possibilities are and using, using resources like uh, there's a, there's a, a website where you can, you can find dispersed camping. Um, what is the name of it? There, I can't think of it right now, but there's a, there's a kind of crowdsourced resource where people have indicated places where wild camping is, is sort of okay. okay. And you might look at that, you know, you might look at that in addition to the satellite images and, you know, use your horse sense on the ground. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I feel like, so many people just kind of want like one website that's going to just give them all of the information. But it sounds sort of like if you want to plan a really successful trip, you sort of have to like almost approach it as like a, a campaign and really, you know, do kind of a deep Absolutely. dive into this stuff. I love like satellite images. I'm picturing like you sitting at like a mission control with like eight screens up <laughs> and like, or like a conspiracy theory style, like bulletin board with you know, string between the campsites or something. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't even tell you how many times my wife has come downstairs, you know, at 2 a.m. and I'm still at the kitchen counter with, you know, my laptop open, bent over with satellite images. <laughs> and she's like, you need to come, you need to like get a grip yeah. and come to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So that actually sounds a lot like, like my husband and he knows if he mentions roots for more than like 10 minutes at a time, I'm going to smack him. And if he's, he'll do this thing where he's like, oh yeah, I have this great route for you. He'll tell me, I'll be like, okay, that sounds good. No problem. I'm going to ride that. And then like, two seconds later he's like oh or you could do this or you could do this or you could do i'm just like i just need one <laughs> just needed the one just need the information and i'm good <laughs> yeah totally, totally. I, uh, I, I totally get and respect that um though i will say that that if someone you know if, if a if a, a beginning bike packer is is going to go to a website and download a route so she goes to bikepacking.com or or she goes to ride with gps 
Um, that's that's awesome. That's what the resource, or at least in my view, that's what the resource is for. It's intended to to bring someone into the community and and give them a, as positive an introduction to the the trip as they can have. I would still say to such a person, do your homework mm-hmm. and don't passively you know don't passively accept where the the points of interest are and where the potential camping is because because being engaged with it is at least at least part of the pleasure of it and i think yields a better experience to to know something about the landscape and to to know something about the small towns that you're going to pass through like go ahead and do that work too in addition to using the resources that are out there mm-hmm. and and i'd even go so you know i'd go so far as, as to say that on some of my rides uh, that i posted up I, i'll leave stuff out and and you know it's stuff that i could I could provide like, like a good one is, is people often ask me on, on my, on my routes, the best time of the year to do this ride. And I have an opinion about that, but I don't say anything about it because I kind of want you to find out what the weather is going to be like and what you're in for and what you should pack and, and for you to be engaged in in it enough so that you can think for yourself, this is going to be this kind of experience and I'm going to make it awesome by doing my part too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I think, yeah, giving people a bit more, like, ownership over the experience. Because I think we're so used to coming back to these, like, you know, the the super fast cyclists. We're very used to, like, we register for a race. The route is marked. We know the start time. We know the cutoff time. Like, we sort of, all we have to do is show up. Like, have a a working bike. But, like, that's about it. Um, So I think this is just a very different kind of experience that, that puts you a bit more in touch with, yeah, like, your your bike your equipment everything going on and you're the one responsible for it i think that's awesome Uh, yeah absolutely okay so now that i've mentioned the bike we have to talk about gear because bike packing i mean i know i i hate being kind of a gear hound but with bike packing (laughs) i do feel as though the gear matters quite a bit so how has your kit evolved over the year over the i mean gosh, a lot of years that you've been doing this and like, what's, what's like generally in your pack now. And also before a trip, are you like a list builder? Do you have like an Excel spreadsheet of like what stuff to bring? What's it look like? Everything. Tell me everything. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm totally with you. I love, I love Love gear geeking out. And and so it's like, I have to fight it in myself because, because the philosopher in me wants to, you know, wants to treat bikepacking as primarily an aesthetic experience. And I think it is really primarily an aesthetic and historical and geographical and cultural experience to be in faraway places and to learn about them and to, you know, to go to a faraway place with an open heart and, and a kind of reflection about what you're doing and, and yourself in that place. So that's what I think bikepacking is most of all. But then in parallel, I love the stuff too. And I love yep. thinking about the gear too. Um, and so, yeah, my, my kit has changed uh, massively over the years. So uh, I, I mentioned that that first trip was with two, two panniers on a rack in the back of the bike. And mm-hmm. all, respect, you know, all respect to that way of packing, though that's definitely not how I do it now. And, and I have to say that people who refer to you know, traditional panniers thinking about bike touring in the 60s and 70s and 80s, 
maybe need to go back to their history because the most traditional way to travel by bike is to attach soft bags in the in the frame you know in the frame triangle yeah. or you know the front roll everybody is hopefully everybody has seen the buffalo soldiers in in the late 19th century you know riding from fort missoula with their front bed rolls and their frame packs like the traditional the real traditional way of of riding a bike big distances is to have soft bags like bike packers do now and the panniers were kind of middle 20th century blip um but you know all respect to people who are going to ride with panniers that's a great way to do it but that's not how i do it now because two reasons one one is the the rigid attachments of panniers the racks and the and the sort of structure of the pannier itself that attaches to racks all that is pretty fragile mm-hmm. and so bouncing along a trail or a rugged road or, or a two track um the chances of breaking a, a weld or a bolt or shearing off you know some plastic attachment on your pannier is pretty high something yep. i've experienced personally a bunch of times so that's one reason not to use panniers and another reason is that if you're riding single track or if you're rear panniers especially can be um, a source of interference and so having a narrow profile is um, is desirable so okay so these days I travel with the soft bags that people have seen on on bikepacking rigs and glee means is uh, a frame pack either a full frame pack or a half frame pack a seat bag and a front roll that fits be- between the the bars, your drop bars, or that spans the whole length of your flat bars if you're riding your 29er or you're riding your fat bike or something. And that requires you to pack really small. Like the main thing about it is you have to have a super compact load and that requires uh, thinking about it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, somewhat unfortunately, that, that sometimes requires, uh, you know, monetary investment in gear that I think it's, you know, I think we should all be thinking carefully about because we don't want this to be, the, a, a, you know, enterprise for the wealthy alone. But a small sleeping bag is expensive, and a small oh my gosh, is it expensive. is so expensive. I was trying to get one for for hiking or for for my husband this past Christmas, and I was like, I can't, I can't afford this. Like, oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. nuts. It's it's, <laughs> and so so, I'd love for the for the outdoor industry to have have a you know, honest conversation about like why this stuff is expensive and, and where, where you can, you know, find a more economical way. But in the end, I do think that the kind of small bag bikepacking that people see in magazines these days requires you to at least invest in a small sleeping bag and a small tent. And by small, I mean, you know, maybe your your viewers can can picture this. Um, sorry, your listeners can picture this. So, by small, I mean they should pack down to the size of a cantaloupe each, right? So that's how yeah. how small I want my sleeping bag to be, and how small I want my tent to be. And once you've got those two things that small, then then you're not going to bring a lot of extra gear, and you can sort of psychologically get a grip on the fact that you're traveling light means fast and bigger distance and seeing more and being more independent. And that's, that's its own kind of liberation and, and happy thing. Mm -hmm. 
So what's what are some of like the MVPs other than like small tent, small sleeping bag? What do you do like clothes wise? Are you bringing like two chamois? Are you bringing like a casual change of clothes? What's like valuable and what have you found is just like not worth bringing? Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, so you you got it exactly right. I'll usually bring two chamois. Oh, thank God! I don't have to jer- like go into a lecture. Sorry, the, the chamois <laughs> thing is like my area of expertise. And if you were like, I use one and I rinse it in streams, I'd be like, no, <laughs> hanging up now. <laughs> so, okay, we're good. <laughs> no, okay, well, yeah, we're good. But like, uh, you know, I've I've tried the one the one like no, I can, that's not. Like I think of myself as an ultralight guy, but no, there's not a for limit. that. <laughs> <laughs> there's a limit. Um, and so, yeah, two pairs of chamois, two jerseys. Um, and, by the way, I should I should say that that bikepacking trips have different feels and different styles. And so sometimes I ride in baggy shorts and a, a merino t-shirt. Other times I ride in you know full lycra kit. Kind of depends on on how I want to feel and the folks I'm riding with and, and the landscape. So last year I rode uh, from Munich to Marseille in Europe. And so, you know, riding over the Alps on dirt roads was incredible. But uh, every day I was in, in racing kit, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I was some reject, reject from the Giro d'Italia or Tour de France or something. And so, and, you know, and that's because that stuff reads in a certain way in Europe. It reads like you're doing something sporty and people totally get what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels completely comfortable to be, for them and for you, to be in, in racing kit. But riding in Kyrgyzstan or riding in, in Vietnam or something, those are times when I, I'll put on baggy shorts. I'll, I'll dress like I'm going on a nice hike. And so yeah. I feel comfortable in that and other folks feel comfortable with me in that. So, so it varies, but yeah, I'll have two, two pairs of whatever, whatever is on my, my bottom. I'll have two pairs of that. Yep. And then I'll have two Jersey type things or two riding tops. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned MVPs of, of this kind of, I think the next two things are, a puffy jacket of some sort. It doesn't yeah. have to be heavy. It doesn't have to be, you know, big. But in a lot of places, it's going to get cool in the evening. So around camp, you want to have a puffy jacket or a puffy vest. And then you'll need a, you'll need something for rain. So you'll have your your light rain jacket. Uh, I also sometimes, if I expect rain, travel with either Gore-Tex shorts or rain pants. Uh, I I travel with Gore-Tex socks. Uh, if it's going to be rainy or if I'm going to cross through a lot of streams or, or expect a lot of wet. And then you asked about casual clothes. That too depends on what kind of trip it is. If it's a more, you know, if it's more wilderness oriented trip, maybe all you need is, is a pair of shorts and, and a t-shirt or a, you know, Merino base layer. But, you know, riding, riding like this trip in Europe or, or, doing a trip that has a more cultural dimension, I'll want a I'll outfit where I can go into a museum or sit in a pub or, or, you know, meet some new friends, you know, at their home or something. And so that'll, that'll be a very lightweight, uh, packable kind of trap outfit. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. I love it. Um, 
What about food stuff? Are you bringing like a stove? Are you bringing bowls? What does that look like? Because I imagine if you're actually carrying like most of, you know, food for even just one day, like that takes up a lot of space. It does. Yeah. It's hard. Um, and oh, and so, do you use like a camelback or something to, to hydrate since your frame is full with a bag? I, I So, yeah. So as far as the, the water pack, I, I don't usually wear anything on my back anymore. I try to travel small enough in terms of luggage and, and so that I can fit everything in the bags on the bike. And then for water, depending on how much water I'm going to encounter on the trip, I might have six bottles on the bike. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, and that, that'll be bottles on the fork, bottles under the down tube, sometimes even bottles behind my heels, kind of by the rear dropout, uh, which you can, there are different ways of attaching bottles yeah. back there. Um, nothing wrong with a, wearing a, a camelback. That's, that's a great solution, but I don't like my back to be sweaty and it mm-hmm. kind of bugs my, my shoulders after a while. And, and, and uh, I've tried, I worked hard to, to sort of get away from, from needing to have that, that pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as you know, food and cooking. So, so on a trip like the Vermont trip two weeks ago, we didn't carry much food because we knew we would be able to resupply pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, trying to trying to social distance and not trying to put a big load on the small communities we were passing through. But we were able to buy food on a daily basis, and that was fine. So that's a trip where. I'm not stressing about having a stove or fuel or the or pod or cooking kit, and that's a certain liberation and a an easy, fun way to travel moving through a landscape where where you might well talk to people at at the at the brew pub that you have dinner at, you know, in non-COVID times or yeah. at the you know at, at the diner where you're going to stop for coffee in the morning. Um, you know, you might you might talk to the person behind the counter and learn something about the the town that you're in. So that's a nice time to not be relying on your own cooking. Mm-hmm. But on the way, you know, the way other end of it is is a, a trip like the Kyrgyzstan trip, where where we had a six day span without resupply, and so that was like a massive carry where we had to dedicate you know whole bags, like my whole saddlebag just had dried food in it and mm-hmm. stuff that we bought you know we bought the market in Bishkek so we had to be pretty careful about packing enough calories and kind of meal planning in advance but the, but that means carrying the stove and carrying fuel and uh, the pot and, and the cooking tools so that takes yet another level of reflection and refinement of the ultralight style mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so because you're because you're a philosophy teacher, we have to talk about like what do you what do you think about during these bike packing trips? I mean, I know sometimes you're out with friends, but when you've done like a solo one, like where does the philosopher kind of start slipping its way in? <laughs> yeah, and and it's you know I love the question because because thinking about those times, you know, I did a trip in in Asia in two thousand. Set, uh, where I was there for a year, and 
I, I flew into Pakistan and rode rode through Pakistan into India and then went to to Chengdu, China. Got a flight to Chengdu, China, and rode from Chengdu through that part of China and then Tibet and then Nepal back to India. And that was a solo trip where I had a lot of a lot of time for reflection and mm-hmm. and you know you're up at high altitude so your your thoughts are a little loopy um, <laughs> and you're dehydrated and and maybe you haven't been eating eating perfectly um just because of conditions and the, like those moments yeah i promise i'm 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 going to answer what what sorts of things i think about no, so I the, love you know, it. those are moments <laughs> those are moments where i really appreciated the potential for for bicycling to get you out of your own head to to be a liberation from from a constant commentary and a constant potential for for conceptualizing the things around you in the way that you're most familiar with you know the alternative to that is to just let yourself be in the experience to sort of i think i used this phrase earlier but i'll say it again to sort of let your let yourself kind of smear into the environment and just be in the landscape or be in the towns that you're, that you're visiting. So part of, part of what bikepacking is for me is a chance to not have, not have my consciousness be dominated by these conceptually articulated thoughts one after another, where, you know, each one is more useless than than the next <laughs> one, uh, you know, for for the purpose at hand, which is like being in a place. But then that gets, that of course, alternates with or or is on some kind of sine wave with with a chance to think about who you are and what you're doing and what you're learning. And I my my happiest hope for myself when I'm when I'm in another country mountain biking or when I'm way out West in the USA bikepacking, my, my fondest hope for myself is that I would at least take some time to think about that place's history and what, what made the culture the way it is and, and what I can learn from it, how I can change my own sense of what's good and right by being open to, to what another place is telling me about itself. Like those mm-hmm. are the kinds of thoughts that I, that I most want to experience. I mean, in a place like Pakistan or, or, or I bikepacked in, in Syria and Jordan um, leading into Egypt. And that was right before the, the um, Tahrir Square. And, and I, I arrived in Cairo during the, the uprising of the Egyptian people. And like, that was super powerful. And, and I felt like I could, I could learn a great deal about, about how to be in this world by listening to other people talk about how they are. And so those are the kinds of thoughts that I want to have. Yeah. I feel like you're a philosophy teacher. I would have really liked to have in college. (laughs) Oh, you're kind. Thanks for saying that. I'll throw that out there. Um, I mean, I, I was going to ask, like, do you feel like bikepacking has, has changed your, your life or like made you make any life decisions that you, you might not have without bikepacking? I feel like the answer is a pretty obvious yes, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So consider it asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, it is an, it is a big yes. Um, and the, I, if I had to summarize the yes, I would say that bikepacking, 
I mean, look, bikepacking's a blast. It's fun. It's it's a way to be outdoors. It's it's a it's a joy in the in the geography. But more than that, I would say it's a yes in that it's made me less dogmatic about the things that I think are true and right about how we should treat each other and be in this world. And it's made me more open to other, other people's ways of viewing those questions and answering those questions. So yeah, it's made a huge difference. Oh, such a good answer. I love that. Um, and I feel like this is this last one I wanted to ask is going to be a bit of an, it depends, but if you had to, if you're going on a bikepacking trip, are you like a generally you prefer to go on them solo or are you more of like a I'd rather bring friends along for the ride person? In my heart, I'd rather be solo. And good I, answer. Good answer. That, <laughs> you know, and for me, the, the reason for that is um, it is that when I'm solo, I'm much more vulnerable. And, and by vulnerable, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm relying on the place and its people to, to show me the way and, you know, show me, I'm using that metaphorically, but show me the way in the sense of, of I'm vulnerable to the difference between me and the people of the place I'm visiting. And I love that vulnerability. I love, I love relying on others to teach me something about, about this world and about who I am and what we can be and what we can hope for. And when you're traveling with your friends, you kind of create this, you know, this ecosystem of your own sociality and your own familiarity. And so you can end up sort of insulating yourself from, from uh, the insights of being in another place. Um, All all that said, you know, I, I think recently I've mostly taken trips with, with others because I, you know, I love my friends and we love doing it together. And Logan Watts at, at bikepacking.com is a really good friend. And, and Karen Young, who was on the, on the, the Vermont trip is a good friend. And so, you know, there's a certain joy in, in doing positive things with people, you know, and care about. Uh, but, but if you ask me what I would pick and prefer, it would definitely be solo. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm I'm kind of in the same boat there, so I, I like that. And yeah, I mean, I think you're completely right. Like, when you are with your group of friends, it's so easy to completely miss everything that's happening around you or feel, like, even uncomfortable, like, kind of breaking out of that little bubble. But when, when you're by yourself, there's right. you're not really worried about feeling kind of silly because, hey, nobody knows you. It doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, so we've mentioned bikepacker.com a few times, but yeah, where where can everyone sort of find find these routes that you're talking about? See see what you've been up to. Where can everyone find that online? So, bikepacking.com is is the the website start, oops, started by Logan Watts some years ago where we share stories and advice on equipment and routes as well as news from from the, the gear side. So folks can head over to bikepacking.com and they'll find my stuff, but they'll also find tons more. I also have my own blog, um, though heading over to my blog, on it, those are minutes you're never going to get back in life. So, but but if, people, if people want to read my writing, some of it philosophical, some of it just reflective, I have a blog at, at joecruise.wordpress.com. 
And uh, of course, I, I post some of my favorite photos on Instagram, and that's at Joe Cruz Pedaling on, on the gram. Ah, awesome. Love it. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat about this. Bikepacking is, is super fascinating to me, and it's something I haven't gotten to explore as much as I, I would like to yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> we're, we're getting there, although we just sort of hampered ourselves with a, a new puppy, so I don't know how soon it's going to be before we get out on a bikepacking trip with him, but we're going to try. <laughs> but the great thing is that, that it's it's there waiting for you in life, you know, whatever. Like, basically... I see no reason into my fifties. I, yeah, I turn 51 next week. And so I, I can't keep doing this for the foreseeable future because it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have to be a race. It's not competition. It doesn't have to be some style or other. It's, it's just a, to me, a positive way of riding bikes with a, an overnight component and often on dirt roads or dirt trails. And so all that stuff is there before you. It's been a super pleasure to, to talk to you, Molly, about, about this stuff. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram, Uh, And I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week. Searching for the stories outside of cycling, but still inside cycling? The Gravelot is a weekly interview series where we talk about our shared experiences in the cycling community and talk with people that we think you guys might be interested in. Absolutely. And the Gravelot is actually not always about gravel, but it is the place that is your local trailhead. It could be the meetup parking lot where you meet your friends. Or the post-ride watering hole. It's really the place where you sit down, share your stories, and talk about life. Yeah, and dive into the things that really matter to you on two wheels or beyond. The Gravelot has brand new episodes every single Thursday morning, along with a bi-weekly editorial column every other Tuesday. So check out the show, check out the beeline, and join the conversation and find out all you need to know about The Gravelot at thegravelot.com.